Pastor Xavier Reese with encouragement to make the most of our time with the Lord. The time in the wilderness is characterized by rebellion and murmuring. Deuteronomy chapter 1 tells us that they could have made it in 11 days. And so as you're born again, I'm born again, there is a legitimate time that you go through a wilderness thing. You know, I mean, that's heavy, the change you make. And God is patient. God takes you through. He leads. He guides. But once we go beyond that legitimate time, it is wasted time. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Who hasn't been on a journey that seemed to last longer than expected, with frustrations mounting, begging the proverbial question, Are we there yet? Well, you might say that was the case for the wandering children of Israel. As tensions mounted, we begin to see their leader, Moses, succumbing to the frustration. And as Pastor Xavier continues our series in Numbers with a study from chapter 20, it's here we learn a simple truths lesson in trusting God to the end. I've entitled the message, The Sin of Moses. The children of Israel have come to the end of their journey after 38 years of wandering in the wilderness. And once again, they begin to contend with Moses and Aaron because there is no water. Now, God has told Moses to speak to the rock at Horeb in order to satisfy the children of Israel's thirst. As God would bring forth water out of the rock, but instead, Moses chose to strike the rock. The account is an object lesson for all, and for all to understand that there is no person who is exempt from the accountability to God for one's actions and the consequence of sin due to those actions. No, not even Moses. No one is exempt. The event before us is marked by three movements. The first one is found in verses 1 through 6, the murmuring of the people against Moses. The second, verse 7 and 8, the message of the Lord to Moses. And then thirdly, verses 9 through 13, the misrepresentation of God by Moses. Let me read the section and we'll take one at a time. Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness, that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. And so Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water from them out of the rock, give them drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? And then Moses lifted up his hand, and he struck the rock twice with his rod. 
And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me to hollow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. This was the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hollowed among them. The murmuring of the people with Moses is found in verses 1 through 6. Notice first, the place was the wilderness of Zin, verse 1. The entire congregation was present in the first month of the 40th year of their wandering. Forty years have gone by since the exodus. Thirty-eight since the rebellion. Here they are back there. Notice the record of their 38-year march in the wilderness is recorded in five chapters. Verse chapter 15 through 19. Five chapters record everything that took place in their march. Thirty-eight years. The remaining 30 deal with what took place within months. Is that amazing? Have you ever thought that? Have you ever looked at that? The time spent in the wilderness is a waste of time. And it's not noted by God, for it does not glorify Him. There are many Christians who live in the wilderness. They have lived in the wilderness since they've been born again. It's a place of wasted energies, of wasted works. It's a place of loneliness. It's a place where certainly God is with you, but, you know, it's a place of the flesh. The time in the wilderness spent over its legitimate time is characterized by rebellion and murmuring. Notice there is a legitimate time in the wilderness. Deuteronomy chapter 1 tells us that they could have made it in 11 days. And so as you're born again, I'm born again, there is a legitimate time that you go through a wilderness thing. You know, I mean, that's heavy, the change you make. And God is patient. God takes you through. He leads. He guides. But once we go beyond that legitimate time, it is wasted time. It is senseless, useless. It does not bring glory to God. It does not bring any productivity in my life regarding the spiritual things. It is just a time of rebellion and murmuring. And too often, this is where a lot of Christians spend their time. And when they die, their life adds up to one big zero. They've never done anything for God. They've never done anything but murmur. They've just been wandering around because they refuse to enter the promised land because they're afraid of the giants and they're afraid of the fortified cities. And they spend their whole lifetime there. It's a tragic picture, isn't it? Notice the point of meeting. Kadesh, the very same place they had come to 38 years before where they refused to enter that land, like I said, due to the giants and the fortified cities. 38 years. How far did they get? They went nowhere. How much progress did they make? None. They're in the very same place when they came 38 years ago. They had made no progress in their journey. They had observed an entire generation die in the wilderness. They had been kept from the promised land through unbelief. But now, once again, here they are at the door. And God is so merciful, He gives a second chance. That's the God we serve. He's always there to give you and myself another chance. Will I take that chance? Will I take that door? That is my decision. 
But how sad that we would spend so much of our life in the wilderness. And you know people. Maybe you're one of those people. You know where you're at. And maybe you've been the Lord 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and it seems that you're always back there in the wilderness. It's just you never move on. You never can progress. And it's the same old thing. And God says to you, hey, listen, you're here at Kadesh. Don't you want to enter in? Haven't you learned from the 38, the 48 years in the wilderness? Man, it's dead out there. Just cross over. Leave that behind. Notice the prophet as Miriam died there and was buried. Interesting about Miriam, she had been instrumental in putting Moses into the Nile River only to be drawn out by Pharaoh's daughter. And then she also was the instrument to bring Moses' mother to nurse Moses for the purposes of God. What a tremendous privilege. She must have been real young, maybe 10, 12, something like that. She was older than Moses. That young, knowing God, being used of God, for such a critical thing, she was an instrument of the deliverer of Israel. She had also led the victory march after they crossed the Red Sea with song and dance and timbrel in Exodus 15, 20 through 21. Rejoicing over what God had done. A prophetess. But then in Numbers 12, verse 1 through 6, we see her instigating sedition, dissension against Moses, contaminating Aaron. God struck her with leprosy and would have left her soul if it would not have been for the intercession of Moses. Notice she, as others who had rebelled against God, could not enter the promised land. She died here. And she had known God for so long. She had been used of God. But she was not allowed to enter in. The problem was that there was no water for the congregation. They weren't asking anything unreasonable. This was common. They're in the desert. Water is hard to come by. Their need was legitimate. It was not sinful. God nowhere in this passage declares that it was sin, what they were asking. How easy it is when we are being used of God and we start thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, then we start making a judgment upon what people are asking or what people are trying to discuss without listening to the voice of God to see if it's true. Sometimes we need to listen to the people. We need to listen to others who are talking to us. Lest we make a conclusion of our own and say, ah, oh, they're all messed up. <laughs> they don't know what they're talking about. Very important. Notice the personal attack was against Moses and Aaron. The latter portion of verse 2 down to verse 5. The process had been going on for the last 38 years. Nothing had changed. Verse 2. So they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. This has been going for 40 years. I mean, you have to give these guys a, a bit of credit. We cannot excuse their sin, but you have to give them some credit. This was an ongoing thing over and over and over again. The emotional response was the expressed desire to have died under God's judgment in the past with their brethren in verse 3. Oh, that 
we would have died when our brethren died before the Lord. Isn't that always our response emotionally? Always real extreme, real weird. Oh, why does God do this? Oh, why did he ever save me if he knew this was going to happen? And that's always an emotional response. It's based upon what I am feeling. Now, this is the hook of Christian psychology. They say, well, how do you feel? I feel rotten. And so they work on your feelings. But the Word of God says, you obey me regardless of your feelings. You are not saved by feelings and emotions. You are saved by faith. Therefore, you must walk by faith, not by feelings or emotions. The Christian community is living by feelings and emotions. And your feelings and emotions will always cause you to decide on your best interest, not God's. You know why? Because you like yourself a little bit more than everybody else. You've got a stake in it. And so it's a dangerous theology that's being preached and taught today over the pulpit in the Christian community. And that's why we have so many people that are a bunch of basket cases in the church. And they're going to the shrink. We've got the power, and we're giving people over to the shrinks. What a condemnation. Incredible. Verse 4, the same old-fashioned accusation was declared to Moses for all these years. Why have you brought us up in this congregation of the Lord into the wilderness that we and our animals should die here? Paul the Apostle said, the more I love you, the less I be loved. When you serve people, you're serving people with the same nature as you, sinful. And so you're going to be misunderstood, you're going to be talked about, you're going to be gossiped about, you're going to be accused, and if you don't understand that, then you'll become bitter, hard, resentful. But really, in all actuality, we are all priests of God. The priesthood of the believer in Peter. We are all servants. That's all the word minister means. You're a servant. And if you're a servant, Jesus says, after you have done all that is your duty, say, I am an unprofitable servant. The problem is, we don't think we are unprofitable. <laughs> we think we are worthy. And so we're looking for people's applause and all of their praise and everything else, and when we don't get it, then we pout. And we threaten God, we're going to quit. I'm going to go back in the world. I don't need this kind of stuff. I can almost hear God said, hey, go for it. As if God is biting us and says, oh, don't, don't, let, let, let me fix it up for you. <laughs> Isn't that what we do to people? We try to intimidate them? Try to manipulate them? Well, we can't do that with God. The longing for Egypt was never expelled out of their hearts in verse 5. Why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? You see, Egypt was still in their heart. Egypt still looked pretty good. Now, some of you still keep looking back to the world and you say, you know, that's not bad. I mean, I know it was bad, but, you know, it wasn't all that bad. And you can smell the leeks, the onions. You see, Egypt had not been expelled from their heart. They were always looking back. You remember Lot's wife? Pillar of salt. Salt is a purifying agent. It preserves. It preserves those memories. 
And you keep looking back to the world, you keep preserving those things. Let me tell you something. None of you or myself ever look to our past with a clear vision with truth. You know why? Because we always reinterpret it. Bad things look worse, and pretty good things look real good. Because we're far removed from it. When in reality, they were bad. <laughs> They're trying to do that today with nostalgia with the Woodstock and all that. It was terrible. They're trying to make it like it was some kind of a national holiday or something. If you were in the 60s, you know what was going on. None of us look to our past with accuracy. Because we're so far removed from it. And we rewrite it in many different ways. The contrast is, bring us to this place of evil. See, the place of God is evil, but the place of Egypt is not so bad. Interesting. Their longing for Egypt was never expelled out of their hearts. That's the problem. And when people are in the church and they're always longing for the world, they're always, you know, keeping, you know, something on hold, you have to be careful. The Bible says the word to cut off from all things of the world. We live in the world, but we're going to live of the world. The boat belongs in the water. It's when the water gets in the boat that the boat gets in trouble. You understand? <laughs> and when you start messing with that, and then the water does start getting in the boat, and the boat starts going down. And so we need to pay heed to that. The proper response of Moses and Aaron is exemplary. In verse 6, Moses and Aaron, they went in the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Notice, first of all, they turned from the presence of the people to the presence of the Lord in the tabernacle. What a good example. Whenever people start coming against you or you hear things, you need to turn from them, listen to them, listen to them, and then go before the Lord. Because you have to go before the Lord and say, Lord, you know, I've heard them out. I don't think they're right, but I want you to minister to my heart. Because maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm missing something here. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm biased. You deal with my heart. So you remove yourself from the people. You listen to the people. You go before the Lord. And how do you go before the Lord? Look at it. They fell on their faces in humility. You don't go to the Lord and say, Lord, you know, these guys are a bunch of eggheads. You know what I mean? I can't believe them. Lord, get them. You go on your face. You go on your face showing the Lord. Say, Lord, I could be wrong. I don't think I am, but I could be wrong. I'm open. You come in humility before the Lord. And then the result will be is that you will see the Shekinah glory as they did. Because if you come asking, he will not turn you away. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberally and abradeth not to man who asks. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's important. And so their proper response was exemplary for us. How to deal with issues like that. Be it husband, wife, children, the church, friends, loved ones, whatever it may be. Listen, then go to the Lord. And then pay attention to the Lord. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, it'll be open. It's a promise of God. You've got to wait on Him. The murmuring of the people with Moses is a reminder to each of us about our sinful nature that is ever present until we go home with the Lord. And it must be ruled by the Spirit of God. 
by the Spirit of God, we will never get rid of our sinful nature. But we don't have to be controlled or a slave to our sinful nature. That's why we're born again. Notice, secondly, in verses 7 and 8, we get the message of the Lord to Moses. The first thing we want to look at is the proclamation was to both Moses and Aaron, verse 7 and the first half there of verse 8. The Lord spoke directly to Moses, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, and gather the assembly together. Notice the command was to take the rod, both Moses and Aaron, and they both were to gather the assembly before the Lord. Remember, Moses didn't want to go alone to Egypt, so he gave him Aaron to be his mouthpiece. And so God tells them both to go and to gather the congregation. Now, the rod is not identified specifically here. The rod of Moses was used by God to deliver the children of Israel from Egypt through tremendous miracles. It stood for the law, authority, power. The rod of Aaron was a confirmation once and for all of his high priesthood. We studied that in the previous chapters. And it was ordered to be kept in the Ark of the Covenant. Chapter 17, verse 10 told us that. So we've got the choice of these two rods. We don't know at this point which one it's referred to. But as we move on, we may have some indications, though not conclusive, but the indications are interesting. Notice the particular task of Moses. It was to speak to the rock before their eyes in verse 8. The simple instructions were to be followed by faith. They were to just, he was just to speak to the rock, that's all. Very simple. Have you ever noticed how simple God's word is? Have you ever examined the New Testament uh, dialogue of Jesus with people? I mean, he came to speak to common people. He came to speak to farmers, to prostitutes, to tax collectors, to just a common person. So simple that a child can understand. Now, if men would have written the Bible, you and I would not be able to understand it. There is no way, because that's the first characteristic of a scholar. You write in such a way so people cannot understand you, so they have to depend upon you. That's how you know he's a scholar, you can't understand him. <laughs> the obedience was to be before the eyes of the people. Now, God knows the heart of Moses. God knows your heart. God knows my heart. But see, the only way you can know my heart is by the manifested actions and obedience. And the same me to you. The promise was that the rock would yield its water. Again, still in verse 8. The certainty was assured by God. I will yield. It will yield. It's assured by God. Whenever God says something in His Word, it is God's Word, you can trust it. When He says, if you repent, you will be forgiven of your sins, you can believe that. When it says that He's coming back again, you can believe that. When He says that the wrath of God is on you, if you do not repent, you can believe that. When it says that after death there's a judgment, you can believe that. When He says if you die in your sins, you will perish eternally, you can believe that. Absolutely guaranteed. 
Pastor Xavier Reese with today's study drawn from Numbers chapter 20, illustrating just how simple the simple truths of Scripture really are. And there's much more of this message to come next time, but if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy. And the title you want to ask for is simply The Sins of Moses. It's available on CD for only $4. And this might be a study you'd like to pass on to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is The Sins of Moses, or simply mention today's date. And you can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 